Today's gospel lesson is from uh, Gospel of John, where Jesus overthrows the tables of, of money changers in the temple and drives out the animals making a whip of cords. And so I thought it was appropriate for us to come into the church for our sermon today. Before I get really um, far into the, the sermon, I, I just wanted to sort of point out um, the ways in which our church is meant to reflect the temple, um, the tabernacle, at the very least, of, of Judaism, and the various the various points of of those differences, um, and then we'll then we'll get to the meat of the sermon. And we'll start here at the tabernacle, the place where we keep the body and blood of Jesus that are in reserve. Um, you see, there's a sanctuary lamp here that's lit any time that they're consecrated wafers and wine to represent the fact that that Jesus is present here in the tabernacle. And in Israel's worship, um, in the, the place of the most holy place was the was the Ark of the Covenant. And um, that was the place where God's presence was thought to reside. Um, the high priest only went into uh, the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. Um, and so otherwise that that was reserved and cut off. And so now we move over to the, the sanctuary, which is typical of, of the sanctuary of, of Israel. This is where the priests would would sacrifice, do the normal sin offering sacrifices or offer incense. And um, sort of we call this the sanctuary uh, in the Episcopal Church, this part that's um, inside of the altar rail that's reserved for the priests and the ministers to to do the work of the altar, um, to do the Eucharist and to lead the liturgy for the people. And then here we have uh, the nave in the Episcopal Church, which sort of represents the court of Israel. This is where all the Israelite men could come and to gather for worship. And uh, obviously, that's there's a whole sort of a, a wall here. It's a whole separate court. Um, and when you saw the the smoke rise um, from the offerings that were offered inside of the sanctuary, the inside the the court of the priests, then you then you'd know that that sin offering, um, that incense offering, was was being offered, and and sort of your prayers. Um, were being heard and being received at that time. So this is one of the reasons, not in St. Matthias, but many of the old Gothic churches had a, a big, a big sort of archway called a rude screen. This sort of was imitating that as well, where there's a separateness, um, and a, and a physical separateness from, from the people than from the priests. And then as we, as we come out here, basically, to the narthex, um, this is where the court of, of women would be. Uh, so the, the court of women uh, were outside, even a little bit further back than the court of Israel, obviously, Israel being the men. Um, but the women could come here um, to worship. And uh, and so then outside, really, um, even further would be where the court of the Gentiles were. 
Um, so not inside necessarily the temple itself, but sort of out in the outer range, considering that this the temple is a place for all people, all nations to come and to worship uh, the, the one true living God. Um, Israel still provided a place for them. Um, they weren't able unless they basically converted to, to come um, inside of the temple otherwise, but they could stay outside in the court of the Gentiles. And, and so this is where Jesus overturns the money changers uh, tables and sort of drives out uh, the animals. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's important that we see exactly where Jesus was, sort of, as, as he drove out the money change, the animals with the whip of cords and overturned the tables of the money changers. Um, and it's important to, to recognize what's going on around. This is, this is the Passover at the temple. Um, this isn't Tuesday afternoon, um, you know, at the at the at the local convenience store. This is the temple complex, which is, you know, twelve football fields. Um, it's you know, it's stadium size. It's fairground size. It's uh, and and it's an an amazing type of event, the Passover. This is, this is a time when all Jewish males and most Jewish families would go to Israel to worship. Um, it's one of the three festivals that they were required to go up to Jerusalem. And Passover was, was like the biggest, right? It's, this is, Passover is the time when Israel was set free from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And they went through the Red Sea into the land of promise and that God was, was with them with them. He delivered his people, right? And so this is, this is, you know, it's like the 4th of July and Christmas and Easter all wrapped into one huge festival where, where there's, it's not like church where there's a very serene worship service. It's more like a fair atmosphere where you see people from everywhere that you, that you, that you haven't seen in a long, long time. You know, it's like the Super Bowl, right? And you sort of imagine it like it, right? That Jesus, we've, we've seen too many movies or too many um, you know, cinematic productions where Jesus makes a whip of cords and drives out animals and overturns some tables and that everything stopped. You know, nothing stopped. It'd be like going to the Super Bowl and, and sort of making a, a, a pronouncement against the beer vendors and overturning one beer vendor thing and, and, and thinking that the game was not going to go on or, or that even beer would stop being sold, right? That didn't happen. Or being at the fairground and, and causing a commotion in one side, thinking that all the games in the midway would stop and the rides would cease and everything else would be, right? So Jesus isn't stopping worship at the temple. Jesus is doing something more. So Jesus isn't really, really uh, proclaiming uh, a pronouncement against, against worship and against the Passover and against all these things. What's, what's Jesus making a pronouncement against? And I think it's, there's, there's in the reading, um, you know, there's, there's some hints and there's some clues to what's going on. One is that this is a prophetic action, 
right? This is what prophets do. They, they, don't, just, they don't just talk. They make prophetic actions. Jeremiah, when um, the temple was going to be destroyed um, by the Babylonians and they were taken into exile, smashed a pot. Um, the reality is in, in less than a generation, the temple will be gone. And that Jesus, in overturning these temp- these money changer tables, is sort of making he's making a prophecy against the temple. Um, but what kind of prophecy is is he making? And I think that's that's an important aspect. Um, one is um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel, we we hear Jesus call the temple a den of thieves, and he doesn't say that in John's gospel, but it's but basically the, the statement that he makes in John's gospel that we'll look at closer and the statement in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are so, sort of equivalent. Um, a den of thieves. A lot of times we keep, we keep saying or you hear, you hear preachers say, this is because they're cheating the pilgrims as they come to buy their animals or they're making this a den of thieves because they're cheating the Gentiles out of coming to worship. But, but in reality, you, you need people selling animals, you're not going to come from miles and miles away and, and risk your animal not being unblemished. Um, you need to get your animal right there at, at the temple. Um, you, you know, you have, you know, that's what you have to do. That's what everybody does. And so, um, so, so then um, if it's not, if it's not cheating and it's not really probably having to do with, with, uh, the money changers cheating out pilgrims as they come forward either because this is basically the temple is also the national bank. And so what is it then, right? A den of thieves isn't a den of thieves. The den is not where robbers um, do their robbing, right? They don't do the, you don't rob the den of thieves. The den is where the thieves go back to, to hide out after they've been out, doing their robbing. And so when Jesus says this, he's basically saying, you're hypocrites, right? You, this is where you hide out in God's presence. You hide out being holy here, and then you go out into the world and you're corrupt. You take advantage. You do all these misdoings out there, pretending to be worshipers of the one true God, and then you come back here and you hide out altogether, right? This is this is um, what Jesus is saying, and the passage from that's actually in John's Gospel. Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Refers to the last um, verse in the book of Zechariah. In the book of Zechariah, is a book that is written. Um, after after Babylonian captivity, as the exile started to return, and the temple is starting to be rebuilt, and in Zechariah he talks about um, the temple being a central component of not only Israel's identity but of worship of the living God, and all through th- all through that book, um, the temple is put forth as this until we get to the, to the end. Um, the last couple chapters, where Zechariah begins to talk about the day of the Lord, the time when the Messiah is coming, the time when Israel's salvation is coming into the world. And during that time, um, things, are, things are shifting, things are changing. Uh, and one of the things that's happening is that no longer 
where you need to go to the temple, there'll be a pot in, in every house of Israel. Every house in Israel will have of the presence of God, right? You go to the temple in order to experience God's presence. You go to the temple in order to experience God's blessing, to be in, in the presence of God, right? And it ends with, there shall no longer be traitors in the house of the Lord on that day. And the reason there's no longer traitors in the house of the Lord is that day is because you won't need to go there because where you are, you'll be able to worship. And so Jesus is basically saying in this passage, when he says, stop making my father's house a marketplace, he's saying, you need to be holy all the time, right? This isn't just a one day thing. This isn't just a one event thing. This is, this is go and be in the presence of God through your life every day, everywhere you are. And, and in Jesus overturning these tables, he's sort of making this prophetic judgment against the temple, which comes true within the next 40 years as Rome destroys it. But also making a proclamation of no longer is the presence of God going to be in, found in the temple. Um, it'll be found where you are. And it'll be found through me as, we, as he talks about his body. Um, how are you, what, what, when they say they, the challenge, you know, what do you do? You know, what sign do you give us? Um, and Jesus says, right, you know, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. They said, this, take, this temple's taken 46 years to construct. You're going to raise it again in three days? Jesus is talking about himself, right? He's talking about his body. And um, Jesus is going to be the embodiment of the temple. Jesus is the place where God's presence is found. And indeed, we see this as we go through John's gospel when he talks to the woman at the well. And he says, and she says, where are we supposed to worship? Um, our fathers say we worship on this mountain in Samaria. Um, you all say you worship in Jerusalem. What's right? And Jesus says, well, Jerusalem's right, since you asked, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It won't matter whether you're on this mountain or that mountain. What matters is you'll have it in your heart. Wherever you are, you'll be able to worship, which is exactly what Zechariah said, which is exactly what Jesus is saying here in the temple. The time is coming when you will need to worship God where you are which is a sort of, in some ways, a good passage for us today, right? Because you're worshiping God where you are. You didn't have to come to church today in order to experience the presence of God. You can experience God's presence right in your home. Hopefully, if, if this pandemic has done nothing else this past year, it's taught us that we can be holy and experience God's grace and God's love in our homes, in our families, through our daily worship alone and together as a community, that what binds us together is not church per se, but Jesus Christ living within us, working in us, through us as a body. And so this is the risk that we have today. 
The risk that we have today, as we've been talking about risks, is the risk of being transformed. The risk of transformation. Away from seeing the church as being the place where God lives. As the tabernacle, as the place where God lives. And within each one of us as the place where God lives. And the risk of of being that vessel of God's spiritual grace and light and love, both in our own lives, seeing, seeing that we are called to live daily, always, for the glory of God, not just on Sundays for an hour, but every day, every hour, that we are, we are spiritual vessels of the living body of Jesus Christ where God's presence lives and dwells within each of us. It's a risk to see that. Because there's, a, there's another um, aspect of this passage which is crucial when we're dealing with temple and Jesus overturning the temple and, and talking about himself basically becoming the temple. And that is that in, in Moses' day, the tabernacle, um, the tent of meeting uh, where Israel came to gather to worship, to offer sacrifice, God's presence was there. They called this the Shekinah in, in Israel or in even Judaism today, the Shekinah, the presence of God. God's presence resided in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant. And then when Solomon's temple was built, it was said, as they all gathered to worship and consecrate that temple, that God's Shekinah dwelt there as well through the Ark of the Covenant. One of the things that the Jewish writers um, of that day wrote about that was lacking in the present temple was the Shekinah of God. God's presence was not yet in the temple. They'd come back from exile, but not really, right? They've got Roman overlords always around them. They've got, I mean, even Pilate would even raid the temple treasury in order to to build up the aqueducts. And so you you have Israel not really being um, able to be the house of nations of prayer this is from their own, their, own feel, their own feeling, their own experience, that the exile still was, was happening, was still going on. And so God's presence was the one thing that was lacking from this temple. And Jesus is basically saying, that's because the presence of God is going to be found not in this temple, but in me. And for us, we are called to make the same proclamation. Like the presence of God is found not in the church, but in me, through Jesus, through us in Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple. We are the priesthood of believers. You, me, together. And this is, this is a, a big deal to wrap your head around. Not that we don't long for a church or a pavilion to come and to worship in, 
to gather because when we gather together, we, we build one another up. We build upon each other's spiritual gifts and, and we can become a greater uh, encouragement to the world. We can be a brighter light to the world around us. We can have a greater impact. But we embody the presence and glory of God. We embody the Shekinah. It's not found in the church. It's not found in the tabernacle. It's not found on the altar. It's not found in the sanctuary. It's not found in the narthex. It's not found in the parking lot. It's found in us and through us. And this becomes the risk that we're called to take on. Are you willing to live fully day by day for the glory of God? Are you willing to see your brother or your sister as also being a vessel of the presence of God? Do you see the light and glory and spirit of God living in them and through them? How do we encourage one another? How do we bless one another? How do we depend upon each other? This becomes the risk of transformation. Will we allow ourselves to be transformed and allow God's spirit to work in us, through us? And the risk of transforming our mind from the church of being a place where God is found to a place where we gather to be living stones, reflecting God's wonder and freedom and blessing to a world. For Jesus came to bring forth this spirit, to bring forth this light, to bring forth this freedom, to bring forth this love to the world. How do we live into that? How do we embrace it? This is the call. This is the challenge. This is the risk. And I pray as we continue through this Lenten season that we discover ways in which we risk being the presence of God, that we understand that God is is dwelling within us each and every day, each and every moment, and that we will seek to be spiritual vessels living sacrifices of the living God. We'll go into the world. We'll be in the world. Being that light. Being that presence. Reflecting that joy and light and love. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for your gift of your presence, of God's spirit that lives in each of us. May we take hold of that. Let us draw near to you. Cast out anything that is not of you, that does not give you glory, and instead be filled with your spiritual light and love more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.